Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We say it each. We say it each week. Keep your cursor on this address because when you want to know what's really going on, this is the station that will indeed tell you. Um, let's see. Let's just say. Oh, okay. So they're listening. It is late at night in the U.S. Um, well, actually, on the East Coast, it's it's about midnight, and West Coast, it's nine. Okay, so hi. Hi, America. Boket Tover, it's Israel. little sun today. It's going to get beautiful. Very nice. UK is with us this morning. Brazil is listening in. Canada is with us. I couldn't start the day without Canada. And Other. Other is with us. When I find out, I know that South Africa is trying to get through. Hopefully, they're not... Um, suffering from load shedding this morning. Okay, I had a busy week. Don't know about you guys. And um, I went to a basketball game. I went to the basketball game at the Teddy Stadium here in Jerusalem. Um, they call it the Pais, the Pais Arena. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I went with one of my sons and I have to tell you, with everything that's going on, and this is not to in any way dismiss what is going on in our very fragile country, fragile for so many reasons. We are under siege civilly, um, protests in the street against potential government reform, reforming the judicial courts. Uh, this is not the venue to to hear the pros and cons, but nevertheless, do your research. But really, there's there's a lot going on in the streets of Israel um pitting citizen against citizen and it's very scary and very sad and surprise we are under siege again under siege our cities around the gaza border are again under onslaught apparently sirens went off and people have spent the night in their bomb shelters just another day and i'm telling you that i went to a basketball game and the mindlessness of it the pure fun, the silliness, the cheeriness, and the awareness that it really was. We were sitting there. There were secular Israelis, religious Israelis, Sephardic, Ashkenazim, um, you know, North, North European Jews and North African Jews. They were from all over, and there were these. I'm not like a big um, sports fan type, you know. <laughs> Israel is such a tiny country, and they had. I was so surprised. It looked like, it looked like a vision off of American television. People dressed in red, the colors of the team, um, and with with markings on their face. And the visiting team men, thankfully, it was the men ripping off their shirts with messages across their chest. It was so mindless and so wonderful and really a respite. And you know what? It reminded me we were put in this world to change, to make it grow, to make it wonderful, to make it moral, but to enjoy, to enjoy. And I have to tell you, it was mindless. And when we got out, the world hit again. All right. Um, I will have something interesting to report hopefully next week. This afternoon, years ago on this program, I interviewed someone 
who was in the midst of putting together, hopefully it was only on paper, a group living kind of module for older Israelis who didn't want to go into senior living or assisted living or independent housing per se, but were kind of alone and wanted to create their own communities, not necessarily communes in the classic 60s manner, but wanted to live communally, meaning each person or each couple have their own unit of an apartment and there would be a central kitchen and weekly or monthly meetings and I guess I'll know more today. I'm actually visiting it. It came to fruition, this one module here in Jerusalem. It's a group living house of completely not related people who are sharing a beautiful living space that they can afford together. And I have a lot to uh, tell you about that. Also, what I'm sharing with you, how real does it get? I had a fall this week, a fall. I know we have people that are young listening in and older Of course, when I told my 93-year-old mother that I had a fall, she said, oh, my God, you're going to break a hip. Um, But you know what? It was terrible. I came back into the house. I was walking the dog, and the dog got frightened or angry, pulled me down. I was laying in the street. I didn't even know. My glasses were shattered. I was bleeding from my hands and my legs, which were, I was wearing jeans and the jeans didn't rip. I have to tell you, I have to write to the company. I should tell you what the company, call a Kavod, a good company. The jeans didn't rip, but my leg was bleeding. I was a mess. But the worst part was I was frightened for two days, shaky, sore, and frightened. And you know that statement, get up on the horse, that you get up on the horse? I didn't, I mean, I had to walk the dog again, but Yesterday, I went out and I walked in Jerusalem, a little shaky, a little bruised. I walked in the shuk. I walked into just different places and different neighborhoods. And it was scary. And I did it. So hopefully, I'm not going to fall again. And I'm trying to still get to the message of the fall. All right. Now, um, Someone said to me, today we're going to talk about, when we talk about this week's Parsha Torah portion, it absolutely comes in direct relation to um, something that happened to me this week. And I'm very curious, again, your opinions, your ideas, write to me, Andrea, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Very anxious to hear if there's something that I say and you want to know the source, you want to know the URL of the article from where I gleaned the information, very, very happy. Um, Which reminds me, last week I said if anybody wanted my uh, tuna curry recipe, and sure enough, Todd and his wife hopefully have been enjoying the tuna curry recipe. Yes, South Africa is with us. That's good. And Somalia, good morning, Somalia. Very nice. Okay. Something which is weighing very heavily. A client said to me yesterday, was a client, a friend said to me, do you pray every day? And use the, use the, um, the term we use for prayer, which is daven. Do you daven every day? Do you pray every day? And I looked at this fellow. This fellow was a, a, a yarmul, you know, he wears a kippah on his head. And the point isn't him. The point is that he got me to thinking. Cause, and he said to me, he said, I find it so hard. He was really speaking from a very personal place. And he said he didn't grow up observant. And he's recent to 
the world of Torah observance and holiday observance and observing kashrut, the laws of keeping kosher. And he married a religious woman. And he said, I can't, this, this praying thing, it's so boring. He said, it's so terrible. It's so boring. There's so much more I want to do. Very bright guy, you know. And I thought to myself, um, I get it. I've been in his place. Anybody listening in today, I'm sure many of us who ascribe to being, to living a higher, more meaningful, more spiritual lives have come to the place where, I don't know about you, I'll be I'll be praying and praying and suddenly I can't remember that if I said this last prayer, did I do it? Because my mind was a hundred other places. Do they have the stone cut oatmeal um, at the store? Am I going to have to go out to the health food store? In the middle of my prayers. And I was reminded, and we're going to talk about it also in the second section because I'm watching the clock. And I think that it's very important to all of us. There's a wonderful story about a yeshiva student, a yeshiva bucher, and it came off as a joke. But of course, the joke is within, there's the great meaning in the joke. And he goes to this yeshiva, this Eastern European yeshiva, this school of higher learning, religious learning, and he looks around him and he sees the other students there shuckling back and forth, you know, doing that yeshiva rock. And they're beating their chests and they're shouting to the heavens. They're going, I am nothing. God, I am nothing. I am so small. I am nothing. I am just so nothing. I am small in your eyes. I am nothing. I am nothing. And the new student takes a look around and he says, oh, I get the vibe. And he starts beating his chest and shouting higher and louder than everybody else. I am nothing. I am so small. I am nothing. I am nothing. And finally, one of the more, you know, more of the popular students or one of the more accomplished students comes over to him and says, excuse me, who do you think you are? You haven't been here long enough to be nothing. Yuck, yuck. There is, there is a message in that, that prayer is about attainment. It's about reaching a level of things that we don't necessarily understand. We can get bored. We can, we can, um, we can get distracted. But prayer is a privilege. Imagine for a moment, we're going to talk about this in the next section. You know, animals who are born to a nature, my dog that ripped me down in the middle of the street, she doesn't get to pray. A horse doesn't pray. Your wonderful, clever kitten, they do what they're doing. Why do we get to pray? Because we are body and soul, part of God. In the last few moments of this section, I'm not going to be able to do justice and at least raise the questions that keep so many of us awake at night. But I'm going to tell you when we come back a story about massage. And any of you who have ever had a wonderful massage, give it a thought. See you on the other side.
And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Um, just it, it dawns on me how intensely personal this show can get. But um, I, it's very, it's very exciting to see people listening in and sharing and writing to me and sharing it with one another, you know, via the podcast, sending the link to each other. Um, okay, so in case it wasn't, I, I see I was kind of rushing a bit, you know, we have all these, these in the studio, the studio is very, very um, sophisticated, and they keep me on the clock because I don't watch the clock here. We have a terrific engineering staff and I was in the middle of telling this story and suddenly I say, oh my goodness, there's only 15 seconds left and we kind of uh, crammed it all together, shoving your shoe, your foot in a sock that's too small. So I want to go back a little bit and um, I was reminded of the first time I had... I'm not a, you know, I don't really, there's, there's people who like love, I have a problem with personal space. People, I don't want people too close talking to me. I like people to stand back. Maybe it's because I was nearsighted for so many years that I can't really, you know, I need them to step back, not be in my space. And when I would hear about friends running off and getting massages, I had to tell you, the idea was like a little nauseating to me. I didn't like the idea. And when I even mentioned it to my husband now, and I said, you know, we should go together. They have these things. They get couples. Forget it. The guy turns green and leaves the room. So when I say to him, you know, men get pedicures, not a popular discussion in this house. So anyway, um, I remember I had gotten a massage once. I went to a hotel. Very nice. I felt very nice. Okay. And... They were expensive, but then I ended up having a bartering deal, something I had a friend and I was doing some coaching with her and she is a reflexologist. And she said to me, please, what we'll do is I'll give you a massage. And I thought I want to massage the the way I'd like a third nostril, but actually not unlike prayer, you know, God doesn't need our prayer. We need to pray. Um, I said, she needs to give me the massage. Big deal. I went and she began the massage and a lovely little studio with the picture of the foot, the foot divided up and you press this, this is your pancreas and this is your, you know, everything was very interesting. I'm not mocking it. I'm mocking my own um, lack of erudition. Anyway, she, I was, you know, laying there, of course, a little embarrassed about the condition of my body and she's massaging and massaging and my face is in the hole and I'm laughing. I'm thinking, gee, I'm happy. There's no cameras here taking all the stupid things you think about. And as she's doing the massage, she presses something. I seem to remember it was in my left shoulder and she presses something. The floodgates opened up. I began to sob, sob, belly sobs coming from places in my body that I didn't even know existed. I was weeping. And of course, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. And she was quiet. She said to me, no, 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 that, that that's supposed to happen. Something had broken. Something spilled over. And I understood, not intellectually, very not intellectually, but viscerally, that that tension was coming from a much deeper place. 
I'm referring to the prayer. When my friend says, how do you take the time to pray? There's so much more to do. And as I prefaced before and I said, prayer? It's a privilege. Animals do not merit communing with a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And even more important, I understood that coming from my friend's perspective, he was feeling guilty about it because God must be angry that he's not praying. God must be disappointed. Well, certainly he doesn't merit any of God's goodness if he doesn't at least pray. But I propose something else. We need to pray because we are as holy as a result of having been created. To not pray is to fight or minimally deny your place in the world. This world that was created for me and my prayer. If I do not say before I eat an apple, the blessing on eating a fruit of the tree, I could be, I rest pretty assured that all apple production in the world coming from the blessings of heaven will not cease to happen. Apples will continue to grow. I need to pray on that apple because I am godly. It's a terrible thing when a dancer cannot dance. When a singer is told to silence her voice. And when a holy being is told or believes that holiness is extraneous to himself. For some, I must admit, prayer comes easy, far, 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 what's the word, far more easily? I think that's it. I admire, I admire. I have a husband who does not miss prayer. I think he would be mortified if he knew I was actually saying that on the, on the radio. He doesn't miss prayer. He stops, he gets up, he'll get off the road, and it's not a big deal. Sometimes you never even know that he's praying. I'm still talking, saying, I can't believe they didn't deliver the milk with the order. And I ordered two crackers, not one. Two boxes of crackers. And I see his mouth are moving. I'm so annoying. It's easier for him. But then he says to me, sometimes he's distracted, but it's what he does. For some of us listening in today, praying when in pain is far easier. The plea is deeper, greater, more heartfelt, more desperate. But do we always want to be in pain to have meaningful prayer? For others, not being in pain, we become paralyzed by agony. And to be lighthearted, to use our prayer, to check in with God and say, thank you for, thank you for, thank you for, Fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. 
I wish to share this with you. And again, very, very personal. We read about the splitting of the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds. Some say the Red Sea. Some wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. That's a miracle. Chanukah. The one flask of oil lasting eight nights that was designed to last one night. The miracle actually was that there was one pure flask. I say to anybody here in a desperate situation, anybody here who's experiencing sadness, disappointment, disappointment in their parnasa, their income, disappointment with a child, disappointment with a spouse, disappointment with a parent, disappointment anywhere in their job in the world. Expect a miracle. It is not for us to begin our prayers and say, this is what I want. This is what I hope for. But of course, God, you're not up to the task. This situation cannot resolve itself, but I will pray anyway. We do not edit. Why do we believe that the Sea of Reeds can split and B'nai Yisrael can cross through 50 feet of water, five feet of water, five inches of water and drown the Egyptian army? But we think that we are not meritorious of a miracle? With that understanding, prayer can shift like a dancer who must dance we are holy and must be holy. And sometimes it takes time for the masseuse to hit just that right nerve. When the dam opens up and the commune with HaKadosh Baruch Hu God in heaven becomes one. But a dancer doesn't not dance for years and get up on stage and perform. There's practice. There's daily stretching. The professor learns and reads before he can hand it over. The singer does her scales. The pianist, the violinist, the doctor, the nurse takes refresher courses. We must pray. Even if we think in our Heblian mindset that our prayers cannot in any way pierce the heavens. Oh, not true. We must pray because we were born to pray. And what I say to my friend is this, and it's not from a podcast that one goes, it's taking, you get in and you do it. The way Rabbi Dessler says, you give and give until you're a giver. You pray and you pray until you're a prayer, a prayer. And I say the one thing, to not pray is to exercise chutzpah. I'll see you on the other side. Okay. 
We're back. Andrea Simintel, pull up a chair. IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Um, so, I, I, just in closing, what I just want to close out that last little section because I, I don't want to rush, and this is so intensely personal to me, that what I say to my friend, because it was like, really, I was saying, what could I say to him that would at least perhaps just open up his mind to a different twist? You know, sometimes it's perspective. That's why there are prisms that show different things. Um, and what I would say to him, just as a first step, in a sense, is that where would one get the chutzpah the nerve to deny yourself the connection by not praying, to defy one's essence is to step away and say, I could do this myself, I'm on my own. No, we ain't. And I would say, make the time do it by rote, by rote, by rote. And one of the greatest blessings of prayer is that when you're doing it by rote, the day that a line that you have just been slurring over for years suddenly has direct application to your life that day, it grows off the page into your soul. It's there. It's available. Make the time, not because God needs it, because you do. Today's Parsha, today's Torah Parsha portion that we're going to read on Shabbos. I say today, today when Andrea got up and wrote her Devar Torah, um, is the is the the reading of Teruma. And I have to tell you, I told you at the beginning, this show is intensely personal for me. Um, it always is intensely personal, but today in particular, because I can't pick and choose the Torah readings for the work, for the week. That has already been designed for me. And I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I'm just looking at how many pages I have here. Oh, not so much. <laughs> You'll get your coffee or your wine soon. Um, <clears throat> this is a rough one for me. I have a rough time. I have a rough time with the, with the tabernacle in the desert. I have a ta- I have a tough time with um, f- is the word physicalizing, making physical things that I, I do much better in the world of the spiritual than the physical. I'm very sensitive to the concept of avodazara, idol worship, and the Mishkan. Just as um, my friend has a mistaken notion of prayer as something that. He will be punished for not doing. I have this kind of, um, indeed, mistaken idea of a mishkan as being, forgive me for not having a better word, church-like, a place that people must gather to pray because we need a praying place. When I know, I know that when you build a community, a synagogue can be the last thing you 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 construct. You can pray in somebody's living room, in the community center, in the cleared out supermarket aisles. You must build a ritual bath, a mikvah. There is no Jewish life without it. But a synagogue, a place of prayer, it always felt a tad vain. And yet, 
here we are talking about the building. We haven't even gotten into the nitty gritty yet. So the detailed description of the dimensions and the materials of this Mishkan as listed in this week's um, portion, you know, are kind of, I have trouble connecting to the importance of it. But again, it doesn't mean that the Torah is imperfect. Oh, better not listen to this show out of context. I struggle. Because the question of the purpose of all of these details is has been asked, not just by Andrea, by so many of us listening in. To so many students of the Torah. What is the big deal? What are all the answers? What does it matter? And for some, we never really get to that satisfactory answer. Welcome to the world of Torah Judaism. Because the answer, as my good, my late friend Barry, my husband's dear friend Barry, he was a, a research scientist. And he said the beauty of science was that it was always in the question, the next challenge, the next search. Sure reaching cures, getting answers, solving riddles was important, but it left one a tad bereft. The study of Torah, the deep perusing of Talmud, is to embrace and confront new and new challenges. The matter of the Mishkan for so many, and lightweight Andrea still to this day remains a miracle. You know, but the thing about God and God's motivation so much, to put a human word on it, always is a mystery. God doesn't need, the way he doesn't need my bracha. He doesn't mean to say, on an apple. He does, certainly doesn't need a mishkan in the desert, a tabernacle. The words of the prophets, according to Rabbi Wine, the words of the prophets of Israel, make this point abundantly clear. And yet, the obsessive attention to detail, the exact method of construction, are all part of the desert service to God. And so this is the, the whole mystery of it, the difficulty in the human rational logic to encompass and to understand this entire subject is the object lesson of this week's reading. Humankind? We know we live in the, the, the center, and as earthquakes are un, unfortunately uncovering more and more relics and artifacts of the world, we see the attempt to understand God and to even recreate God in our own image is something that has been going on since time immemorial. But you know what? The Torah states that humans were created and this gets back to our prayer thing. We were created in the image of God, so to speak. And throughout life in the ages, this quest, this desire to reach, to understand our perfection has been that focal point of human history and existence. We know that when God told Abraham to offer up his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice, a voice called out from heaven and shouted, Abraham, Abraham. And as I've stated in that Parsha earlier, God did not suddenly develop a speech impediment and a stutter that he said it twice. 
what was really happening was there is this image of all of us who we can be, the books we could have written, the cures we could have discovered, the peace we could have waged, how perfect we can be in our holy creation. And so seldom does our earthly existence match the epitome of God's knowledge of where we could be. And when Abraham raised his sword to do God's unbearable will at that moment, he was indeed Abraham. Abraham, it was a match. We all have that challenge in front of us. The Mishkan, the tabernacle, was a way for us physically to celebrate this partnership. It required great human effort, great resources. They were in the desert. People had to, of their own desire, nobody was holding a gun to their neck, give materials of great value. Everything in the desert is of value. You're carrying it, you're schlepping it yourself. That pot is a pot you took from slavery in Mitzrayim and you're carrying it through your precious jewelry, your nidunya jewelry, your engagement jewelry was all you had and to give it. And this labor of love of God signifies the weighty relationship. So if there's this movement, according to Rabbi Wine, um, of goodness and spirituality on the part of us here in this lower world, i.e. prayer, prayer, prayer. Imagine the commensurate response in the heavenly world above. Imagine to the best of our abilities. You know, there's a famous parable. Um, there's a phrase in Tehillim, the book of Tehillim, Psalms, that the Lord is the shadow of our right hand. When a human being moves his hand, the shadow it makes moves with it. This is what our actions and behaviors here on earth kind of evoke this movement and a response from heaven. The words of the rabbis that the temple built below is parallel to the temple built in heaven. I'm getting off text just one moment as I share this with you. You know, when I keep saying that we were created B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God, you know, I know that in the non-Jewish world, I've gone into bookstores and I've stumbled. I always am very curious to see, oh, here's the story of Noah and the ark. Oh, here's the story of the creation. And somehow very often, and I'm, I'm so sorry because I can't unsee it, they will have God, the entity they call God, God, as this old man sitting on a throne with the big white beard. And we see it, we see it in memes on the internet, we see it in cartoons. To unsee that physicalization 
of God in heaven is one of the greatest crimes we can, spiritual crimes we can commit against ourselves to unsee it. And when the Torah says God reached out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, I remember hearing as a child, again, keeping with God is this flowing white beard sitting in a chair, the chutzpah, the unmitigated gall of it all. And I would hear, even from well-meaning teachers, well, you know, we are very limited in our understanding. So the Torah says hand so that we can understand because we have a hand. So what God has isn't a hand, but we give it so that we can understand it. Perspective, my friend who cannot pray. Let's give that a twist. What if God's hand is the hand? God's outstretched arm is an arm. And we who were created in his image were blessed to have something that is hand-ish. Arm-ish. When God spoke that speech, we speak ish by merit of having been having been created in his image something to think about add it to the from the torah to your table for shabbos section oh very exciting iraq has joined us this morning good morning iraq uganda is with us korea and the netherlands also we have a beautiful crowd today all of us reaching our hand around the world and embracing in a moral life a joint life, a God-celebratory life. Okay, so in continuing, looking at my notes here, you hear the notes? We're on the notes. Did this for, didn't do this for you, I have to tell you. I do this for me. Um, so the question always gets to, you know, is it possible, again, here comes to my discomfort. And again, it doesn't mean that there's a flaw in Torah logic. It means there's a flaw that I need to work on. You know, is it possible to put the divine, the holy, into a concrete structure, such as a tabernacle? Well, is this what the Torah is telling us this week? It's a dilemma. This is a terrible dilemma that was actually articulated by King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, who states, and I'm translating from the Hebrew, behold the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain thee. So some of the some of the sages find it even more perplexing that immediately after the revelation in which the Torah forbids us to assign physical attributes to God, we are commanded in a mitzvah, a commandment that seems to confine God to a concrete area. Let's look at at least two explanations of this problem. So there's a midrash that resolves this problem by alluding to a verse in Psalms. Actually, it's verse, if you want to take notes, uh, Psalm 29, uh, line 4, which we say each week. And the line says, Kol Hashem Bekoach. The voice of God is power. Now, the, vo- the verse seems kind of abstract in general. I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was when I read it. I skipped over it. But if we're trying to say that God's voice is powerful, shouldn't we just say, uh, let's try God's voice is powerful? 
the general, you know, it's so general, this phrase, and it insinuates that the voice of God should be perceived, though, by each and every one of us on our own personal level, each according to our ability. No man can really perceive or grasp the immeasurable powers of Hashem. Gets back to what I said. To not pray. We're being invited in. The king invites you in to have a cup of coffee. The king invites you in to talk with him. And you say, nah, too busy. An earthly king, an earthly prime minister, an earthly president, an earthly chairman of the board. You don't drop everything, straighten up your tie, put on some breath mint and go running in. So the same idea of, of, of talking to each one of us, some of us listening in from the Netherlands or South Africa or America or Israel may not have had the, 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 the translating Hebrew to English, may not have had the blessed opportunity to expand our Torah knowledge. Does it mean that our prayers are less valuable, less poignant? less worthy of attention? Not at all. Each one of us, according to our abilities, are celebrated on the same level. The mikdash, the tabernacle, is a means to, personif to personify God's immeasurable powers in a tangible, materialistic way. But, you know, there's another common explanation, one that I have great problem with, maybe you disagree with me? I hope you disagree with me. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Um, you know, there are some of the commentators say, well, it was the way of showing the world that God forgave us for building the golden calf, the sin of the golden calf. But again, one has to make use of the first explanation and say, this is real, merely God's way of lowering himself to our level. Why does God have to prove anything? He has to prove to the rest of the world that we're forgiven? There's a wonderful writing that I came across. It's called Sha'ar Yechud Ve'emunah, The Gates of Unity and Faith. It's, it happens to be a classic Hasidic text. I only you know, came across it this week. And it mentions this Kabbalistic concept similar to um, the idea of God lowering himself. And it's called Tzimtzum. I had heard that, but I never knew what it meant, tzimtzum. And how is it possible for God to relate to us for all he, you know, he's, we're talking about, we don't even have the language, you know, to talk about existential, to talk about spheres, to talk about light years. It doesn't come close to the magnitude. We are so limited. So the translation of tzimtzum is minimization. God has the ability, did we ever doubt it, to minimize himself, to see things on our level, in our incredibly limited fashion, the same way that a parent would talk to or look through the eyes of his confused child in order to help him understand a difficult concept. The mikdash, the tabernacle, now becomes more understandable to someone as limited as Andrea. 
because the Mikdash, the tabernacle, is a result of Tzimtzum. Just an important aside. It's not really an aside, but it's an important note that I want uh, you to come away with, is that when the phrase says, let them make me a sanctuary, this is the, the Torah quote, let them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Um, Rabbi Menachem Ibn Zerach, he was a, a, I don't know if he was a Kabbalist, but he was a, a rabbi in the 1300s. And he notes, I love this, you know, it's so broad, nothing is dated. Deep Torah thought, deep Torah understanding transcends the calendar. And he says that what God is seeking here is not entering the sanctuary itself, but into the hearts of the children of Israel, B'nai Israel. The use of the plural pronoun among them instead of in it. I need to make a sanctuary so that I can dwell in it. He doesn't say that. I can dwell among them. It's meant to teach us that it is for each and one, each and every one of us. So the question has to be asked that if this tabernacle was being built as a result of the sin of the golden calf, which again, it can be disputed, why is the Torah telling us all of this before the exodus from Egypt, that they're going to build it? Rashi doesn't see it as a problem. Because of the principle of Torah, which says there is no former or later in the Torah. This is very difficult because when people argue and they sit and say, yeah, but how could this happen? Because this happened. The Torah is not chronological. It is not, it is not a history book. It is a blueprint, a blueprint of human existence. If you're locked in the concept of saying, well, the history is off, you're locked in your earthly human understanding and not reaching for your spiritual belly. This view of the Rambam, he says he doesn't see the tabernacle either intrinsically or chronologically a concession, a giving in to the physicality of human conceptions. And yet, <laughs> we're talking about Rashi, okay? But yet, you here you have Rambam rejecting the idea that the tabernacle was in any way an afterthought, an idea, an atonement, or a compromise between the ideal spirituality and the reality of man's material conceptions. According to the Rambam, and I'm emphasizing the mem at the end, not the Ramban, he says the command for the tabernacle was there from the beginning as a means to fortify the imminence, the centrality of his presence. The acts of the golden calf merely jeopardized this, okay? It wasn't resulting from, but, mere, but they were putting it in serious danger. And so it was important that the mikdash, the tabernacle, be instituted to show that things have indeed returned to the status quo. So this week, boys and girls, the assignment from the Torah to your table, what I'll be discussing at my Shabbos table, and I hope that you will discuss it yours and maybe send me a note and let me know what some of the interesting points came out to be. So concentrating on refining our motivations 
okay, can help us sanctify even our day-to-day activities, okay? The Shulchan Aruch, um, the code of Jewish living and law, it encourages us to elevate all physical activities to a spiritual plane by focusing on these actions as a means to the ultimate goal of Torah and mitzvot. What am I saying? When we dress, are we dressing modestly, holy, clean, no tears, refined? When we are eating, are we eating healthy? Are we eating to celebrate and to thank God for the miracle of a wonderful body? By eating, drinking, even sleeping enough, even enjoying recreation, a basketball game, for the purpose of being fit and alert to learn Torah and perform mitzvot, we transform the mundane the ordinary, into the sublime. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 